Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. Today we're going to look at a different kind of evangelism. Now, evangelism means someone who gets out and tells others about Jesus and shows other people who Jesus is and what he does, the good things that he does in our lives. But today we're going to look at a different kind of evangelism. You know, the Holy Spirit is out there initiating opportunities, creating opportunities for us to come into contact with sometimes perfect strangers, sometimes it's people that we know, but he's orchestrating. He's The Holy Spirit is pulling the strings in the background so that we come into contact with the right people and share with them the faith and the hope and the love of Jesus. So listen in to this different kind of evangelism. see something really interesting today. It's a different kind of evangelism, a different kind of evangelism. And just to kind of set the set the record straight, you know, what what is evangelism? What is evangelism? Uh, evangelism means that you have so much of God in your heart that you can't help and go tell other people about who Jesus is and what he's done for you. All right. Evangelism is overflowing with joy about what God has done in your life. And uh, sometimes you feel like evangelizing. Some people might call it proselytizing. And in other times you don't feel like it. All right. And that's okay. You're not you don't have to be turned on all the time uh, with that that burning fire for Jesus. Sometimes you feel it. Sometimes you don't. But you know what? The opportunities come for you to tell people about Jesus sometimes when you don't feel like telling them about Jesus. And sometimes you have to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and say, you know what? Here's an opportunity. I'm going to tell this person about what Jesus has done in my life and who he is and what he means, what he means to me. But here we're going to find in this story, it's a true event, by the way, it's not a made up story, but in this true story, a different kind of evangelism. A different kind of evangelism, one that you and I may not be terribly familiar with, but you know what? God wants us to get familiar with this. Look at this. I'm just going to read through the story and make some observations as we do often do. But the very first word, here, let me tell you something. Every word in the Bible is important, and I'm going to show you an example of this. The first two words in Acts chapter 10, verse 1, it says, at Caesarea, at Caesarea. That's important to this whole story. So remember the town or the city of Caesarea, because we're going to come back to that in just a second. At Caesarea, there was this man named Cornelius. He was a centurion. In other words, he was a military guy. He had 100 soldiers under him, a centurion that was known as the Italian regiment. Now, this regiment was part of the Roman Empire, and it was based there in Israel, in Palestine, in the place where most Roman centurions did not want to be. In fact, to them, it was kind of the armpit of the empire. (laughs) They didn't want to be there. But this guy was there, and he was a different kind of guy. He says he and all his family were devout, God-fearing. What? A military guy, and I'm not talking about current military guys because there's a lot of military guys that are they're God-fearing. But back then, are you kidding me? An Italian centurion that was God-fearing and devout? That's bizarre. That's weird. That's unusual. 
He and his family were devout. They were God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. I'll never forget doing a, a, a funeral for an FBI friend of mine. And out, it was a different church. There was like, uh, I'd say like 300, maybe 250 people were there. And I'll never forget seeing about four or five uh, pews, because the church had pews, and four or five of these FBI eight rows of these FBI agents in their suits, and they were all sitting there just staring at me as I talked about my friend who had passed away. And I'll never forget the friend who passed away telling me, he said, in law enforcement, you can't be a Christian. <laughs> he, he said it almost that strongly. And I've heard, I've had military friends tell me the same thing. Hey, when you get in the military, it is hard to be a Christian. Can I tell you something? It's hard to be a Christian anywhere. <laughs> it's hard to be a Christian in business, in school, uh, wherever. It's tough. It's tough. But look at this guy. This guy was a devout, God-fearing guy. And I want to tell you this. There's a lot of people out there that are seeking God nowadays that are kind of flying under the radar. They're not in church because they don't know. It's not because they don't want to be in church. They just don't know where to go. They just know that somehow, some way, God is real. They're having an encounter, a personal encounter with God, and they're curious about God. And they're becoming a devout kind of person. I'll give you two examples. We ran across, me and my family ran across this girl from Spain. Now, I, I grew up in Spain, all right? And so instantly, my, this, this girl was in college. She's a, a transfer student uh, or foreign exchange student. And, you know, as we began, as I began to talk to her, I found out she, about six months ago, this was three or four months ago, but about six months before, she had become interested in God. And she said, God's doing, she didn't know how to put it into words. She says, God's doing something and, and I'm interested in God. That's about the only way that she could say is I'm interested in God. There's people out there that you're running across every day that are interested in God. And if you will just take the step to talk to them, you will find out that they're interested in God. And you can help lead them to, to the trough. Lead them to the water. Lead them to the living water and show them who Jesus is. There's another little girl at Irvin High School where we go every, most every week. And she came up to us after my wife and I were doing Youth for Christ there. And, and she, she said, I, I've been, I want to build a relationship with God. That's all she could say. I want to build a relationship with God. No church background that I'm aware of. Nothing. She's interested in God. She's a, a God seeker. All right? There's a lot of people out there that are interested in God. We've got to talk to them. We've got to find out where they're at. If you don't start talking to people, you'll never know. So let's read on in this story in verse 3. One day at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, this Cornelius guy, the centurion, had a vision. Have you ever run into somebody that said they had a vision before? Had a dream? Do you ever look at them a little bit weird like, hmm, are you, are you sure about that? <laughs> this guy had a legitimate vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, this angel knew him by name. Cornelius stared at him in fear, as I would as well. 
What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to this other town called Joppa and bring back this man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. Those are some specific, pretty specific instructions. That'd be like, that'd be like saying, hey, go to Montana address 10600 apartment 215 and ask for James. I mean, that'd be, it's that specific that this guy uh, this the, the centurion heard from this angel. And he, furthermore, it said, though, his, his gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering to God. Now, a lot of people, you talked, in fact, I'd say most people say, how can you be sure that after you die, you go to the right place? Doesn't matter if they're Buddhist, doesn't matter if they're, uh, you know, Muslim, doesn't matter if they're Christian. Generally, what people are going to say is they're going to say, well, I've done bad things, and I've done good things. Hopefully my good things are more than my bad things, and that's how I'm going to get to heaven. Well, Bible-based Christianity says no, 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 no. (laughs) The bad things that you've done are covered by Jesus. No amount of good things that you could ever do could erase the rotten, stinky things that I've done and that you've done. It can't be erased. Only Jesus can erase it. So then you go over here and you say, well, why on earth would I do good if it's not covering my bad? But look here in the scripture, it says, your, mem- your good things that you've done, Cornelius, are going up as a memorial to God. They're praising God, all right? So when you do something good, do it for Jesus. Don't do it for yourself. Don't do it to make yourself feel good. That's not the purpose. Every good thing that you do is going up as a memorial to God and giving him credit and praise. And so we see that here in Cornelius. Well, that was news to him. All right. But he had this vision. I'm, I guarantee you he was maybe a little bit weirded out. And certainly the people that he told, if he went into his wife and he said, hey, Hey, honey, I just had this vision of this angel. He told me to send people to go get this guy named Peter that lives by the the sea. And, I mean, she'd look at him like he had lobsters coming out of his ears. (laughs) Are you serious? But you know what? We shouldn't get weirded out or feel it too strange when God gives us something like a vision or a dream. Listen to this. In Acts 2, verse 17, it says, In the last days, God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. Now, we don't want to get, you know, flipped out and and be seeking emotionalism and be hyper-spiritual and always be infatuated with some supernatural something or other. But let me tell you, when it happens to you, it happens to you. And God is he's speaking to you. He's trying to get a hold of you. He's trying to instruct you. So don't be shocked if God speaks to you that way someday. And maybe he already has at some point. I've, I talk to people all the time, and it's shocking the level of supernatural interactions they've had with God in the past, even as, as, as non-believers. God is active in this world today. He's active in this world today. 
All right, in verse 7, it says, When the angel who had spoke to him was gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, and he told them everything that had happened and sent them off to Joppa. All right? So let me tell you something. Believe it or not, the Holy Spirit is active all over the world today. Look at this. This guy, didn't he wasn't part of a church. He wasn't part of a congregation of believers. He probably had never read anything in, in the Bible at that point, the Old Testament at that point. But you know what? God was active in his life, even though he had no connections with anybody. And I want you to think about your life. Isn't that how God has worked in your life at times as well? You didn't have anybody. And yet the God of the universe let his Holy Spirit touch your life even though you were disconnected with, from anybody else who may have could have even shared any insights with you. The Spirit of God is all over the world touching people's lives. People scratch their heads and, and will ask, and I've asked myself this as well, well, what about the poor people in Africa who've never had a chance to read the Bible or go to church or meet another Christian? The Spirit of God can reach those people and is reaching those people, as is in far Asia or in, in the depths of South America or in the United States. <laughs> There's plenty of people where we're at who have never heard about Jesus, and God's Spirit is unchained. In fact, look at this in 2 Timothy 2.9. It says, but God's Word is not chained. God can go anywhere, reach anybody, anywhere they're at. And guess what? God is doing precisely that. He's doing precisely that. A different kind of evangelism, not based on me, not based on you. It's based on God. But he wants us to participate. He wants to be, us to be involved in this endeavor. So in verse 9, we read on to this story. About noon the following day, as, as these, this little uh, group of people from Cornelius were on their journey to come get this guy named Peter, they were approaching the city of Joppa. Peter, the guy they were coming to get, went up on the roof to pray. Here's a believer. Here's somebody who's, who's already firm with Jesus. He's serving God. He's one of the, the, the 12 disciples that Jesus mentored. He became hungry and, and wanted something to eat. And so while the meal was being prepared, it says he fell into a trance. <laughs> so we have visions, we have dreams, and here's this, this, this guy who falls, Peter, who falls into a trance, and he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners, a, a strange apparition, a strange vision, if you will. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him in his, his vision here, he said, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Well, what ha what's happening here is the, the Jews lived by what was called the Mosaic Law, the Law of Moses, which is found in the Old Testament, which said there's only certain things that you can eat, there's certain things you can't eat, and by the way, the things that you can't eat have to be cooked a certain way, and a lot of it had to do with health concerns. God knew what, what good food was good and what food was bad. But he laid down the law and said, you can't eat these things. So generation after generation after generation of Jews were raised, 
You don't eat this kind of stuff. And here Peter, a solid, good Jewish man, has this vision from God telling him to break the law and eat this bad stuff. And so it was, it was very unusual. In fact, you can read all of the, the laws about eating in Leviticus 12, 11. It's right there in the Bible. And so Peter is, is, is uh, amazed and doesn't quite understand what's going on. And he says, no, God, the Bible tells me to do this. The Old Testament has told me to do this. I'm not going to do it. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back up into heaven. And while Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, He heard from heaven. He heard from God. Simon, three people are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs and don't hesitate to go with them for I have sent them. Now, another aspect of of this is that uh, Jews weren't supposed to associate with Gentiles. And we'll talk more about the Gentiles, meaning a a non-Jewish person. But you see here, God is working on Cornelius. And then he comes over and he works on Peter. And then he brings the two together. And in the background, God is pulling all these strings. He's orchestrating all these details. He's bringing people together and he's causing something to happen. And I'm telling you what, God is pulling strings on your behalf as well. You're looking at things that, God, when is this problem going to be fixed? When am I going to get over this addiction? When am I going to quit having this bad habit? When is my family going to get back back together? God is pulling the strings in the background that you can't see. He's orchestrating things that frustrate the mess out of you, and he's taking care of your problems if you'll just be a little bit patient. Don't take matters into your own hands to make things happen. Let God fix your problems and trust him that he's pulling the string. So the question is then in your frustration, how many people get frustrated? Anybody? All right. I get frustrated all the time. I want to lose my mind sometimes. All right. So what do you do while you're trusting God to pull the strings and orchestrate the things that you dream of happening for your life? Well, there's a couple of things. I'm going to mention four of them. There's a lot of things you can do. Good, productive, great things that you can do. But here's four of them. First of all, and this came to me this week. It was so refreshing, so wonderful. You can abide in Jesus while he's orchestrating things for you. While you're waiting for him to do the miracles that you need him to do and to fix the problems that you need him to fix, you can abide in him. And that's kind of an old school word, to abide. If you read newer translations of the Bible, it's going to say you can wait in him, uh, you can stay in him, you can remain in him. But I like this word abide because it comes with a sense of staying and staying restfully. All right. You're sitting on a seat right now. I'm, the, I'm probably the only person sitting or standing right now. You are abiding on that seat. All right. That seed is not going to give out from under you. You're not going to fall on the floor. You're abiding and you're resting in the seat that you're sitting in right now. 
Well, God wants you to do the same thing with him. He wants you to rest on him. Rest in him. And I like, I, I, in my journal, as I was thinking about this this week, I wrote these words down. I want to rest in him. I want to enjoy myself in him. I want to enjoy myself in Jesus. Look at this. I want to take a vacation in him. <laughs> that really puts into perspective. Here's God. And here's my problem over here. I can either get over here and be all stressed out, or I can go abide in Jesus and take a vacation in him and take a break from all my worrying. Take a vacation in Jesus. You can do that. I, I experimented this week, and I've experimented many times with this, and it works. You can stay in your worry, or you can abide in Jesus. In John 15, 4, which, by the way, is one of our chapters for, for reading this week, uh, it says this. Jesus says, abide in me. Now, this is in the New King James Version, one of the versions that has a little older wording, but not too bad. It says, abide in me, and I in you. As a branch can't bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine or remains in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, some of you, and I know this from just personal experience. Some of you have been depressed this week. You had a bad day. Maybe a bad week. <laughs> Maybe a couple of bad days. But you know what? You can have the fruit of joy even in the midst of your difficulties. You can be joyful in the midst of your... How, how, Steve, how can that happen? Well, remain in Jesus, and God is going to let his joy just keep overflowing in you even when your circumstances are bad, even when you see impossibilities, you think, I'm never going to get past this. God can give you the fruit of joy just as a branch is stuck into the vine. You're stuck into Jesus. God can give you the fruit of joy and peace in, your, in the midst of your problems. What else do you do while you're waiting for God to pull all the strings for you, make things happen? Well, you, you got to know this. He has appointed you and he has endorsed you. He's picked you. And he's put his seal of approval on you, and you are special. You are a child of the Most High God, and nothing in this world can snatch you out of God's hand. You are safe and secure, eternally secure, in his hand. Isn't that encouraging? And so while you're waiting, all your problems, your enemies might be surrounding you. What do you say? You know what? I've been picked of God. I'm appointed of God. I'm endorsed of God. I, have, I need connections. You always say, well, it's not what you know, but who you know, right? We say that. I know. <laughs> I know the highest person on the face of this earth and this universe, and it's God. I have a divine connection, and he's endorsed me. He's picked me and said, hey, you're mine. You're special, and I'm not going to let anything happen to you. We're going to get through this, and I'm going to pull the strings. But trust in your endorsement that God has placed on you. In Ephesians 1.13, it says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard. Look at that. You were included in Christ. You're abiding in Christ. You've been put in him. You were included in, included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the seal of approval. <laughs> God's approved of you. He said, I approve of you. I picked you. And you say, well, pff, me? I'm no good. Look at everything that I've done. No, it doesn't matter. Jesus covered all of that, and he's put his stamp of approval on you and everything that you do that's not ungodly. 
<laughs> he said, hey, I'm going to make you succeed. I'm going to help you get ahead. I'm going to guide your path. I'm going to take care of that problem for you because I've picked you and I've endorsed you. And you have nothing to worry about. But the, the uh, last couple of things that you can do while you're waiting on God to, to do his, his magic is you can fight your fleshly enemies. Because while you're waiting, what happens? Doubt comes against you. Negativity comes against you. Help, a helpless, you know, victimized spirit comes on you. And you say, oh, I can't do this. You know what you can do? You can begin to fight those fleshly feelings, those distractions, and those worries. Start finding them. Say, you know what? I'm not letting doubt take me down. I'm taking doubt down. I'm not going to let that negative thought pin me to the floor again and again. I refuse this, and you start fighting your fleshly feelings, worries, and distractions. You fight them. Name them by name. If you have fear, call fear what it is. Say, I refuse to have fear take over me. I'm taking over my fears, right? And the last thing that you can do is simply persevere. And this is a word that I don't think we like very much. It's like we don't like patience. I hate the word patience. I don't want to be patient. I want it now, right? I don't want to persevere. I want it now. But God is teaching you to persevere. What is perseverance? It means I'm not giving up. Are you going to give up? What do, you, what do you do if you give up? What do you stand to gain if you just give up? Nothing. So stop giving up and persevere. What does perseverance do? It stays in the moment and it stops thinking about tomorrow. I'm present here and now. I'm not going to think about tomorrow, next week, next month. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to stay in the present. All right. Well, Peter goes down. Let's go back to our story. Peter goes down, says to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous God-fearing man who's respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him, uh, asked him to come uh, get you, bring, bring you to our house. Then Peter uh, invites the men into the house to be his guests. They're Gentiles. This doesn't happen. And I'm telling you, what happens here is Peter takes a huge step as a Jew. He invites in Gentiles into this house, non-Jewish people into this house. And you know what he's doing? He's taking his first step past his hangups. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I want you to think about that. One of the texts this week is that, is start taking steps to get past your hangups. You know what your hangups are. You should. We all should know what our hangups are. Start taking steps to get past our hangups. There's no reason to stay inert, stopped, and not get past where we're at. God wants you to take prog make progress in your life, so take steps to get past your hang-ups, whatever those are. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, they arrive in where? Caesarea. Remember, that was the second word in our chapter today. They arrived in Caesarea, and Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And I want to tell you, God always has bigger plans than you do. Peter thought he was coming to talk to one guy. It turns out when he walks in, there's a, there's a bunch of people. God wants to do more than you want to do. He, want, he has bigger plans than we do. So he enters the house. Cornelius does something kind of funny. Here's a centurion, big old burly Italian guy, you know, he's been trained in the military. He falls at Peter's feet in reverence. 
<laughs> that would be awkward, all right? And, and so Peter makes him get up, and he says, stand up, stand up. He says, I'm only a man myself, just like you. While talking to him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. God always has bigger plans. You say, I want to grow my business from X to, to Y, and God says, no, I have something bigger for you. You know, I want to, this is me, I want maybe two kids. Guess what? You're going to have four kids. <laughs> I want to retire when I'm 65, and God says, I want you to retire when you're 85. Maybe you didn't want to hear that one. I don't know. God has bigger plans for you. Don't think bigger. Just think more about God, and he's going he's gonna to make the big things happen, not us. So he said to them, you are all aware that it is against our law. This is Peter talking to this, this family and these relatives. It's against our law for a Jew to associate and come visit with a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. I'm telling you, Peter's starting to have an epiphany. Oh, my word, discrimination is wrong. <laughs> Racism is wrong. Wow. Thinking less of other people is bad. <laughs> it's like, whoa. This is, this is an epiphany. Wow. So when, I, when you sent for me, I came without raising any objections. May I ask you why you sent for me? And Cornelius goes on to explain his vision. And it's interesting in, in that, in verse 31, Cornelius says that this vision, the angel tells him that God has heard his prayer and has reminded him, has been reminded of his gifts to the poor. And I want to tell you what, God's hearing your prayers. He's hearing your prayers. You whispered that little prayer that you thought he blew off or didn't hear or didn't pay any attention. Holy cow, God is hearing your prayers. He is. He's listening to you. And some of the good things that have happened and the shocking doors that have opened, that was God answering your prayer. Amen. Now give him a little bit of credit. Stop saying, oh, maybe that just happened by its... No, it happened because you prayed. Now, if you'll start praying every day, you'll have miracles tomorrow. So every day, be planning a prayer for a miracle to spring up tomorrow. Good things for you to happen. So we sent to, to Joppa for Simon called Peter. Uh, anyways, they go on with the story here. So then Peter begins to speak there in verse 34, and he says, Now I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. <laughs> what is it going to take for us to open up our mind and get out of what I'm calling our Christian cocoon and realize we're all on the same level playing field here? There's nobody higher or lower there's nobody because you're male or female or, or your skin's a little bit different, you know, a darker color, a lighter color. Give me a break. What a waste of time. But you know what? All of us have discriminatory thoughts. All of us do. And we need God to open up our eyes and say, you know what? That is uncool. <laughs> That's just not right. And let's stop. Let's stop with that. Let's dispense with this baloney. And let's start being the people who God's called us to be. Watch your thoughts this week, by the way. As you interact with people that you don't like, search inside yourself and see the level of discrimination that we tend to all have 
uh, one towards another, unfortunately. And it takes God opening up our eyes. But God accepts, in verse 35, it accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Now, it's interesting here. I've underlined this on the screen here. But verse 30, 36, Peter goes on and says something really interesting. He says, you know, and he's talking to Cornelius. He says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord to, uh, Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee and after the baptism of John that, that John preached. Somehow Cornelius did have some knowledge, somewhere, somehow. And I want to just surmise, I want to guess here how that happened. He was living in Caesarea, and if we go back to the time of Jesus, a year or two earlier, we see in Matthew 16, 13, that Jesus went to the region of Caesarea. Could it be that this Roman centurion was walking down the, the, the streets of Caesarea one day when Jesus walked by and he heard Jesus speak? He saw Jesus do a miracle. And that Roman centurion's life turned around with one brush with Jesus, one interaction with Jesus change that guy's life. Well, let me tell you what the Bible tells us, that Jesus lives inside of us. Every person you come into contact with, you can impact. It's a different kind of evangelism. Every person you come into contact, a smile that you give, an encouraging word that you give, the opportunity to tell somebody who Jesus is, whatever it is, you're impacting their life, and it can change the course of their life so they start heading in a different direction. Who knows what happened here, but it, uh, Peter goes on, and I won't read the whole thing because we're running out of time here. But uh, he goes on and tells the centurion about what Jesus did and how the centurion and his family need Jesus. You need to tell people you need Jesus, all right? You say, well, Jesus is a crutch to you. No, he's not. He's a gurney. <laughs> he's a, I'm laying down. I'm not just, I don't need a crutch. I need him to carry me. You say, well, Jesus, you're, you're brainwashed, dude. You've, you've, been, you've been buying into this stuff for, for too long. You're brainwashed. Yes, I am brainwashed. And I'm heartwashed as well, thank God. You know, he's cleansed my brain from all kinds of lust, vices, negativity, depression. He went and just wiped me clean, and he's given me a fresh, brand-new mind, and I'm thankful for it. I don't want the old mind. I don't want the old heart. I want the new Steve, and you should as well. You should want a better version of yourself. And with God's help, that's possible through his son Jesus. So you give that message. Man, God can make you a new person. He can change your life because he changed me. All right, so... While Peter is still speaking, the Holy Spirit of God comes down and, uh, and, and, and starts changing these people. <laughs> They're filled with the Holy Spirit, which is crazy. And the, what was called the circumcised believers, in other words, the Jewish Christians, they are astonished when they see the Holy Spirit poured out on these Gentiles, on these non-Jewish folks. When they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God, then Peter says, surely no one can stand in the way of these people being baptized in water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus. 
And then they um, and then they asked Peter to stay on a few more days. It's a different kind of evangelism. It wasn't initiated by man. It was initiated by God. The spirit went and talked to Cornelius. The spirit went and talked to Peter. The spirit brought the two of them together. The spirit baptized the people in, in the spirit of God, changed their lives right there on the spot. It's a different kind of evangelism. And God wants you to be a person that he pulls in to talk to someone else who he's already been working on. He wants to use you. You don't have to initiate anything in life. You just need to be obedient and listen to the Spirit of God. When he's prompting you to go talk to somebody, go talk to somebody. When he's prompting you to pick up the phone and talk to somebody you haven't talked to in 10 years, pick up the phone and call them. He's trying to do He's trying to use you. Listen to the promptings of the Spirit and be moved by God to touch people's lives. You don't know the strings God is pulling in the background. It's not all on your shoulders. You can't save anybody. Only God can save them. But he wants to use you to touch people's lives. Does that make sense? Let me finish with this scripture right here in John 5, 19. Um, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, Verily, verily, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. And he's speaking of himself. Jesus is speaking of himself and saying, I'm the Son of God, and I can do nothing by myself as a human, as he was. He came in the flesh with the same limitations you and I have. He says, I can't do anything by myself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. You and I, we can't do squat by ourselves. But if we see God working over there and we go join God in that service, God's going to do powerful things through us. So be watching, spiritually watching. Where is God at work? And let me run to wherever he's at and join him in that work so that we can see productive fruit, wonderful results lives transformed from that. Let me end with this one statement. Pay attention to the Holy Spirit. Pay attention to the Holy Spirit. Be spiritually aware of what God is doing. Let your distractions, your worries melt away, your feelings not amount to anything, and just pay attention to the Spirit of God because He's going he's gonna to lead you and guide you in ways that you would have never dreamed. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord Jesus, we just thank you, God, for this, this time together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're here in your name. Lord, we're here to trust you. We're here to follow you. We're here to obey you. We're here to live an adventurous, a, amazing life, Lord God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, we just pray, God, that you, we, you, would, you would open up our attention span from what it's at. Lord, our attention span is so narrow focused on social media, focused on worries, focused on, on pursuits, whatever, maybe a business pursuit or whatever. Lord, open up the span of our attention so that it includes more than just the tiny little nitpicky things that we think about all the time. Help us to have a broad attention span for heavenly divine things, Lord, for those promptings of the Spirit of God that might encourage us to to call or talk or pray for somebody or do something for somebody, Lord God. Oh, Jesus, Lord, I pray that you'd move on us, Lord, to, to, to be moved by the Spirit so that we can be part of what you're orchestrating 
in and around us, Lord Jesus.